0: Hi guys, and welcome back to the Queer Agenda podcast. So I'm super excited to be back just to like give you a quick... Rundown of what's been going on with me. Um, I graduated in May with my BA in English, so yay for being done with undergrad. Um, I've gotten to do lots of queer history research this summer, and I was just able to attend Campus Pride's Camp Pride uh, in North Carolina recently, which was so, so fun, and I got to meet so many amazing, cool people. So it's just an amazing summer to kind of like chill out and just take a second and just prepare for what's next. But today I wanted to record this episode because I wanted to talk about um, Little Women, specifically with the author L.M. Alcott um, and their potential gender nonconformity, conformity um, and then just kind of dissecting the relationship between Joe and Laurie, because I think that's so interesting, and I'm so interested in Little Women as a book, and especially like Greta Gerwig's version Um, that came out in 2019. I love that version. I rewatch it every fall. Um, So yeah, let's get into it. So when we're talking about L.M. Alcott, um, it's important to realize that a lot of the language surrounding gender nonconformity and transness was not readily available during their time. So a lot of articles will refer to the author of Little Women as their birth name, Louisa May Alcott, Um, for the purpose of this episode, I will only be referring to them as L.M. Alcott or just as Alcott. Um, and a lot of articles that you will find about L.M. Alcott as well will include feminine pronouns. For the sake of this podcast episode, I will be using they-them pronouns, uh, for Alcott just because I think that, I don't know. I, I just, I stand by that decision and I think you'll see why. So, Alcott was born on November 29th, 1832, in what is now Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Alcott was the second born of four children, all assigned female at birth. And as a child, Alcott was a tomboy who preferred boys' games. And I tried to do more research on what they meant by boys' games, and I couldn't really find anything. But Alcott worked several jobs very early on in their life, and only the youngest of the Alcott children was able to attend school. So, Alcott didn't get to finish uh, a lot of their education, and they worked a lot of different jobs. If you've read Little Women, then you know that Meg, the oldest, works a lot of different jobs. They all work a lot of different jobs, but they're, like, teachers, seamstresses, things like that. That's a lot of the real work that Alcott did during their childhood, um... And although Alcott is famous for writing Little Women and many other books about femininity, very often Alcott described themselves as a man or gentleman and repeated in their letters that they had been born with a boy's spirit. And much like her main character, Jo, Alcott almost never went by her full name and preferred masculine alternatives such as Lou or Louie and signed letters as Lou or L.M. Alcott. Uh, Actually, on the cover of the first edition of Little Women, Alcott is credited as L.M. Alcott. Um... It wasn't until later that they started putting their full birth name on the books. Um, And Alcott also published under the androgynous pseudonym A.M. Barnard. Um, And Alcott once wrote in a childhood journal entry, quote, I don't care much for girls' things. People think I am wild and queer. And with their usage of the word queer, at this time, it's the mid to late, early to mid-1800s. So, It's hard to say what exactly if Alcott was referring to queerness in terms of sexuality or queerness in terms of gender. But what we know about the term queer during this time is that it was just basically used to describe anything that was outside of the norm or the binary. Um, So I think that that's really telling that they wrote that in a childhood entry, which I think is just so sweet because I think that children very often know they're queer And then they come out later, and then they're like, oh, this makes sense. I know I've definitely had many, many moments like that. So Alcott felt so removed from girlhood that when a publisher asked them to write, quote, a girl's story, they didn't know what to say or do. Quote, I never liked girls or knew many, they wrote in an 1868 journal entry. Except my sisters. Alcott did identify with boyhood and manhood, though. In 1884, they gave an interview to Louise Chandler Moulton and declared to the literary critic, I am more than half persuaded that I am by some freak of nature, a man's soul put into a woman's body. And I think that is so telling. This is 1884 that they're saying this. Um, So, I mean, take that with what you will. But I think that just that statement alone is enough to justify why I'm using they them pronouns for LM Alcott. Um, In the same interview with Moulton, they said, I have been in love in my life with ever so many pretty girls and never once the least little bit with any man. Alcott left behind no romantic correspondence with women, but still Alcott's work resonates deeply with lesbians. And I will get into it as a lesbian whose work, whose LM Alcott's work resonates with deeply. Throughout their middle age, Alcott maintained affectionate relationships with several younger men, including Alfie Whitman and Ladislas Laddie Wisnitz. Wisniewski? Wisniewski? That might be wrong. (laughs) Who jointly inspired the character of Laurie. While their relationship with Alfie was more platonic, their relationship with Laddie was perhaps their only significant romance that we know of. The two met in Europe and became inseparable during their trip. Laddie was dying of consumption and when they parted in Paris, Alcott wrote, I drew down his tall head and kissed him tenderly, feeling that in this world there were no more meetings for us. To the end of their life, they kept a dried rose from Vevey where, where they'd met Laddie. They did want to fight in the Civil War and enlisted in the Army as a nurse as soon as they were able. On the day they left, their father wrote that he felt he was sending his, quote, only son to war. Alcott served in a hospital near Washington, D.C., returning home when they fell ill with typhoid fever. Alcott also described themselves as a father to the children they adopted. In March of 1880, Alcott became the first ever woman assigned female at birth in Concord, Massachusetts, to ever register to vote. Alcott supported the families and careers of their sisters, too. They paid for their younger sister, May Alcott Nyricker's, our education in France, and Nyricker became the sculpting instructor of Daniel Chester French, who went on to sculpt the statue of Abraham Lincoln that is currently housed in the Lincoln Memorial. So that's kind of a cool little fact. And Alcott remained unmarried, but adopted her sister May's children after she died. Alcott died of a stroke at the age of 55 in Boston, Massachusetts, on March 6, 1888. And it is believed that partially the reason that they had a stroke was because the hospital that they worked at during the Civil War uh, was known for, like, very high levels of mercury. So it's very possible that Alcott could have had mercury poisoning, but we're not really sure. So if you haven't read Little Women or seen the movie, this episode might make no sense to you. But there are so many moments in Little Women where queerness, I feel in my opinion, is so clearly stated and explained. And there's so much nuance to it. And I think especially in the movie that Greta Gerwig directed, it's so much more poignant and open for interpretation than it would be. It was in the novel um, because it is a product of its time. But there are so many moments in the novel, too, where Joe, the main character, expresses, like, I feel like I was supposed to be a boy. Or I I think there's literally a line in the movie where it's like, oh, I'm, I'm so sad that I was born a girl and not a boy or something like that. And it's really, really interesting how Joe kind of resonates with or reflects these issues with gender that Alcott was going through during their lifetime as well so we're going to get into a little bit more about the um specific queer moments that I find in Little Women and why Little Women means so much to me as a lesbian. So one of my favorite moments in the movie um from 2019 with Saoirse Ronan uh, Timothy Chalamet and Emma Watson I can't think of the actor's name who played John but I think that's okay. But there's a part where Joe, Meg, Laurie, and John are in the theater, and Laurie looks over to Joe. Like, he's trying to see what she's thinking about the play that they're watching, but she's so caught up in what's in front of her that she doesn't even notice. Like, she doesn't look at him. She doesn't meet his eyes or anything. She's so caught up in what's in front of her that she doesn't notice that he's looking at her. But when John turns and looks at Meg, she immediately notices and she looks back at him, which is like signaling their requited attraction and interest. But I think that's such an excellent foreshadowing on Greta Gerwig's part of making Joe so caught up in what's front of, in front of her. Because Joe is this character that I resonate with a lot because she works so hard for her siblings and she loves them so much. And she's just kind of going against what's expected of her at the time. And I think that's so interesting. And when it comes to Joe and Laurie's relationship, we see many times throughout the movie of them sharing clothes. Um, There's many, many moments where we see Joe wearing a vest, and then in the next scene or a couple scenes later, Laurie is wearing the same vest. And it's something that if you're not looking for, you won't notice it. Um, And then even in the part in France where Laurie is drunk at the ball and he's fighting with Amy... And she says, um, I can never be proud of a hand like that. It looks like it's never done a day of work in its life. And she says, and then this ridiculous ring. And Laurie says, Joe gave me this ring. So he's, Laurie, I believe, is also a queer character in that he is very feminine for the time because he, really a majority of his friends are women, are the March sisters. He spends the most significant time with them. And Joe, in the same turn, spends a lot of her significant time with Laurie. And that is really what makes her into the person that she's supposed to become. Which is so interesting. So I think that both of them are inherently queer characters. Um, But there's this beautiful moment where they're on the hill. And if you've seen the movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about of Laurie. Where he's like, Joe, we've got to have it out, Joe. Joe, I've loved you ever since I've known you, Joe. Whatever. I think... In all the reasons that Joe is listing why they would be horrible together. She says, like, we would hate each other. You you wouldn't be able to love me like this, whatever. And he just keeps saying, I love you, Joe. I love you, Joe. I love you, Joe. And she's not listening. And I think that Joe can't love Lori, one, because she's a lesbian. (laughs) But two, because I think that she sees so much of herself in Lori. They've grown up together. They share clothes. They... They fit together so well, platonically. And I think that that is such a thing of, like, birds of a feather. And she sees so much of herself in him. And she doesn't like herself. So that's why she can't love him. Is because they are too similar. And she just knows. She knows so deep in her soul, like, that this will not work. But I don't know why. But there is this kind of underlying reason of, like, we are too similar You are too much like me, and I don't like me. And that breaks my heart, dude. But then when we look at... Before I get into this, I am an Amy March defender. Amy has done nothing wrong. Well, okay. Let me get into it. So I think that the reason Amy is able to love Laurie so much for so long is because we see her in so many points in both the novel and the movie of she just wants joe to notice her and to appreciate her we see it when she kind of lashes out and she burns joe's book she does that because she wants joe's attention and it's a horrible way to do it but that's what being a sister is is you do horrible things and then you love each other despite it and i think that was her way of getting joe's attention and then she almost drowns in the lake we see Joe really struggle with that of like, I was so angry at her for so long. And I, if she had died, she would have died thinking that I was mad at her and I hated her. And then there's this beautiful moment with Marmee and Joe where they talk about their anger and talk about how it affects their lives, which is another scene that I really resonate with heavily. I love that scene. But then there's this shift in Joe where she kind of decides not to be angry at Amy anymore. Or at least not in an outward way that she was before. She, after that moment, she becomes more reserved in it. And she, when Amy gets to go to Europe, she lets her go. She doesn't fight it. She lets her go and she stays home. And then she says, like, Amy always has a way of finding her way out of the hard stuff. But then when they, when Amy comes home, she says nothing like that to her. It's just her own internal thoughts that she has for just a minute. And then it's gone. And Amy just wants her sister to love her and notice her. That's all she wants. She idolizes her big sister. She even says, like, when she's talking to Laurie in France, of that famous monologue of, well, I'm not a poet. I'm just a woman. You know you know what I'm talking about. She says, I'm not brilliant like Joe. So there's this, there's this understanding that she idolizes Joe. She idolizes her big sister. And who doesn't? If you have an older sibling, like... You idolize them. I am the oldest, so I (laughs) I don't have that. But when you meet people who are older and you think they're so brilliant, you idolize them and they don't see that. And I think that's such an interesting thing that Greta is exploring in this part. And I think that the reason Amy loves Lori so much is because he's an extension of Joe. They are so similar. And all she's ever wanted is Joe to love her. And then when Amy, excuse me, when Lori finally comes around and says, like, don't marry him. This is like the first time she's getting a piece of her sister back. And that's kind of like a weird, I can understand how that can be strewn as weird and incestual, but that's not the point I'm trying to make. So please don't spin it like that. It is just this person that she loves so purely and genuinely who loved this person one time in a way that she didn't understand or couldn't in the way that she wanted to. And now she's getting a piece of her childhood back with Lori. And I think that's such a beautiful thing. There's also a scene when Meg is getting married and Joe is saying, like, we can leave, like, you don't have to do this. Like, you will be bored of him in two years, but we will be interesting forever. And Meg says one of my favorite lines in the whole movie. She says, just because my dreams are different from yours doesn't mean they're unimportant. And then they have this moment where Joe lays her head down in Meg's lap. And she says, I can't believe childhood is over. And I think that is an interesting line that I want to talk about being queer. Because when you're a child, you're kind of able to have this androgynous way of doing things. Like, I, for so long would run around the house like without a shirt on or things like that and there's so many poems out there about like girlhood and kind of being seen as equal for this very short time in your life with men and boys and once puberty hits that obviously changes because your body changes your brain changes all this stuff and so it's interesting the way that society's view of you changes after that after your childhood is over and I just saw the Barbie movie, too, so that's probably... Maybe I'm just, like, spinning yarns or whatever. But America Ferreira had this beautiful line where... Beautiful interview where she's talking about, um, like, boys and men get to kind of hold these candles for their childhood. They get to go see the superhero movies. They get to have their man caves and keep their, you know, figurines and whatever. But girls are expected to pack it away and not talk about it anymore and to be a woman and to grow into that role and what that means And I think that when Joe is saying, I can't believe childhood is over, not only is she mourning the girlhood that she had with her sisters, she's mourning the societal expectation that she's now growing out of. Because now that she's older and Meg has gotten married, Joe is second in line. She is second born. So obviously it would be expected of her to get married next and to have children next. And so I think that not only is she mourning her sister, she's mourning her girlhood. It's being taken from her with her sister getting married. And now all these expectations are going to get, like, put on her. And her oldest sister is, you know, she's starting her own life. She's a mother now. So the responsibility then falls on Joe. So I think that line is so interesting. It's, there's so many layers to it. And I just love dissecting all these different moments in this movie. Because I think, really, once you start getting into it, these characters are all inherently queer. All of them like there's it's just so cool. I L.M. Alcott, your brain was so big. And Greta Gerwig does a beautiful rendition and adaptation of it. And so if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend looking into it um, and watching it. It's so worth it. And just looking for all of these little moments where you might see queerness. And for me as a lesbian woman, I and an oldest daughter and an oldest sibling, it resonates with me so deeply to see these girls find meaning outside of domestic life and to not let their girlhood go completely and to kind of let it continue and linger a little bit longer and to affect their decisions and just seeing their love for each other transcend decades and hardships and marriages and children and death and things like that. Like it's... So beautiful and finding the meaning in all these beautiful, beautiful things. There's this amazing quote that Greta Gerwig said in, like, a press junket or something. And she was talking about the songs that Beth plays on the piano. And she says, like, I didn't want her to be playing plunky hymns. Like, I wanted her to be playing Bach and Mozart and all of these amazing artists. Because she could have been just as brilliant as any of them. And she wasn't marked for death. It's just something that happened to her. And I was like, oh my god. Like, that was just a perfect line. She wasn't marked for death. It's just something that happened to her. And I think we could see Beth in that light as a queer character, specifically when we're talking about AIDS, of... This person wasn't marked for death. They could have been amazing and they were intelligent and they had so much potential for all these beautiful, groundbreaking things. And then they died. And it it wasn't supposed to happen, but it did. And we will spend more time mourning them than we got to love them. Oh, it's just, like, there's so many moments that I love in this story and it just resonates so deeply with me oh my god and then i was gonna be done talking about this but i just remembered something there is so i've gotten into so many arguments with people about this over the years about joe's decision to marry professor bear and i don't think professor bear is the love of joe's life and i don't think that professor bear was alcott's choice i think that professor bear was specifically put into the novel as somebody we could recognize in our own lives, as somebody who is not necessarily the most supportive or the most intelligent person you know, which sounds horrible to say, but we see so many moments with Professor Bear where he is doing nothing but making Joe's dreams of being a writer out to be childish and stupid and thinking she's a bad writer and so many moments like that. And there's a great moment... At the end of Little Women, directed by Greta Gerwig, where we see Joe sitting down with her publisher, and he says, you need to marry your main character off by the end of the novel. Like, this is something that we as a society need to see, because nobody wants to just know that she goes back to being a spinster. And Joe says, if I'm going to marry off my main character, I get all the rights. So she really won in the end. Um... But I think that's probably based on a real conversation that Alcott had to have with publishers of you have to marry off your main character and they didn't want to. And so they they kind of fucked them over with this character of Professor Bear of people don't really like him. And we we've spent the whole book rooting for Lori, or we've spent the whole book rooting for Joe to be on our own. And then all of a sudden there's this like man who we're just like supposed to accept as Joe's partner in life. And I think that Professor Bear was probably a late addition and that's why he sucks. Like, (laughs) because Alcott spends so much time creating such beautiful, nuanced characters. And even now, more than 150 years later, we're still talking about the dynamics between the sisters. And we're still talking about the dynamics between Marmee and her husband and things like that. They spent so much time creating these characters and giving them believable lives and problems and things that we see in ourselves as things that we don't love and then giving them other characters who love them despite it all there's no way that professor bear was an original part of the novel and i will die on that hill dude it is so interesting to me and yeah, it's just, so in- it's just so cool. I love it so much. I probably should have tagged this for spoilers about Little Women, but um, it's a very old story. So I would assume most people know about it or have seen the movie and kind of know the general gist. Otherwise, they wouldn't have clicked on this podcast episode. But yeah, I think that's all I have to say about Little Women and the queerness of those relationships. I'm sure I could do a part two if I come up with things later. But yeah, this is something that I'm really interested in exploring more. So if you have more thoughts about Little Women and queerness and especially Alcott um, as a person through history, um, please let me know. DM me on Instagram at thequeeragenda15 and let me know what you think. Um, Yeah, I'm going to get back into recording podcast episodes. So this will be the first of very many um yeah thank you for listening you can rate us on spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and we will see you next time